0: Riverside Church podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. I didn't read that in its entirety. When you turn there, you'll see uh, that it's a long passage of Scripture. Uh, Acts chapter 6, uh, we're going to look at the end of that chapter, um, and then uh, the end, all the way through uh, chapter 7. Uh, this morning. I heard uh, an illustration this week. Uh, It's called an autobiography in five short chapters. If you were at uh, chapel at John Curtis on Wednesday, uh, you heard this illustration, and I thought it fit perfectly with what we're talking about um, today. And so I want to read to you an autobiography in five short chapters. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk, and I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. It isn't my fault. It takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. It's my fault. I know where I am, and I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk, and I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down a different street. In this passage of Scripture this morning, we see exactly that. We see a man named Stephen who is walking down a different street. The, Jesus would call it the narrow road, the narrow way, the way that leads to life. And then we're going to see these religious folks who are walking down the same street. It's, a, it's the street that God never intended them to walk down. It's, it's the street of, of religion. It, they've misconstrued what God has been doing throughout history. And they keep falling into the same hole. They're still stuck. and But they're still stuck in chapter 1. They still don't see it. And I want to show you that this morning, that there's a different way to walk, and that's the, the life of Stephen. It's a narrow road. It's, it's not with its own, without trouble. And then there's the religious road. It still seems like a good road, but they're constantly stuck, and they can't see their way out of it. And all through history, they've walked down this same road and fallen into the same hole. Last week when we were together, we saw that the church with spirit-filled wisdom together addressed an issue that had really gotten ugly in the church, an issue that was on the brink of dividing the church and sinking the church, and, and in their solution for that, we see the church set aside seven wise and spirit-filled men, and they were commissioned to take care of the practical needs of the church, particularly at this time, to take care of of the widows. The apostles remained devoted to teaching the word and the prayer, but these spirit filled and wise men of good repute would solve help solve these problems in the church. It was not a meaningful, menial task or some lesser role, it was just a different role that we see the result of that was that the church flourished that the word continued to spread as a result of that decision of setting aside those seven spirit-filled men. The word of God continued to increase throughout Jerusalem. And we even saw that priests began to become obedient to the faith. And part of that, part of that word spreading was what we see in the life of Stephen, this man who gave testimony to what God had done and what God was doing and that God still saves Sinners and what God had been doing throughout history. When when we see these seven men appointed, one man that we are introduced to is, is Stephen. Stephen is described as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. He was a servant leader, but we also see he's a man bold in his faith, and he's a man that's willing to lay down his life for the sake of Christ. Stephen was walking a better road, a narrow road, that leads to life, but we will quickly see that this road, this narrow way, is not without its own difficulties. So we're going to see the life of Stephen this morning. The first thing I want you to see in Stephen, this this man that is walking this, this different road, this better road, this narrow road, the road that leads to life, the first thing that I want you to see about Stephen this morning is that Stephen is persecuted, but not abandoned. Stephen is persecuted, but not abandoned. And so you can always see the application. Let me just kind of prime the pumps for you here. This means that if you are walking the narrow road, if you are walking the way of Stephen, that though you may face persecution, you will never be abandoned. Stephen is persecuted, but not abandoned. First, another word about Stephen. Luke describes the ministry of Stephen in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Let's go ahead and take a look. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So Luke had introduced us to Stephen, and now we see what he does. He's he's a man filled with with grace and power. That's something there, isn't it? To be filled with grace and power. I think it would impress most of us that he had power, but not only did he have power, he had the grace that went along with that. He wasn't just Just bold, but he was like Christ. That's hard to come by unless you are influenced by Jesus, that you are one with great power, but great grace, great humility. Given his name, Stephen is likely a Hellenist. Remember in Acts chapter 6, this is where the division began to run deep between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. The Hellenists were from the dispersion. They were the Greeks, the, the ones that didn't grow up with all the customs of living in Jerusalem uh, in, that, in, that, in, in, in the central uh, place where uh, Israel was. They, they grew up kind of influenced, not necessarily in bad ways, by outside culture. So they didn't always look the same as, as the, the Hebrew uh, Jews. Stephen is likely a Hellenist. And this is noteworthy because listen to what's described here in verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Here's why I want you to know this, that Stephen was likely a Hellenist. And what's being described here among these freedmen in the synagogue is likely that they are Hellenists too. They're from all around the surrounding regions, and so they share, follow along with me here, the same cultural identity as Stephen. But they don't share the same love for Jesus. And I'm trying to put myself in, in the place of Stephen because this has got to be a bit heart-wrenching for him. Remember how we ended up last week in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. That many priests began to obey, it says, become obedient to the faith. And then from the synagogue of the freedmen, some that are like Stephen, I I just wonder, we're, we're not told here, I'm just wondering here, perhaps there's this hope for Stephen. That that people like me, as I as I go to people who are like me and who understand me and, and share these kind of same cultural identities, as I go to them, maybe they too will become like these other priests and become obedient to the faith in Jesus Christ. That some of his own people might become obedient to the faith. So you gotta wonder, is, is this getting Stephen excited? Some of my own people that know me and are like me will come to faith in Jesus Christ, but we see. That's not what he experienced. I have to imagine this is a bit heart-wrenching for Stephen, the man full of grace and power. Just as it would be heart-wrenching for you if, if you went to people like you to invite you to walk along the narrow way, and they did not respond faithful, favorably. But, even though they shared this cultural identity with him, they could not stand what He was saying, do you see it in verse 10? What did they have against him? But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. so, So notice this. Stephen is so influenced by the Holy Spirit. He's so under the power of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit is palpable in his life, and they could not stand what he was speaking, the wisdom with which he was speaking, and the power and the grace and the Spirit with which he was speaking. The reason Stephen is persecuted is the message of the gospel. That's why Stephen is persecuted. Because the message with which he was speaking was so wise, it was so clear, and they wanted nothing to do with it because that told them they were sinners in need of salvation. That they were walking down the wrong road. They kept falling into the same hole and they needed to go down a different road. Imagine someone telling you that when you think you've been walking down the right road your entire life and someone full of grace and power and the spirit and wisdom comes and tells you these things... The reason Stephen is persecuted is the gospel. And so what is the particular accusation? They go on to say that he speaks against the holy place. He speaks against the temple and he speaks against the law of Moses. And they call him a liar. And the reason Stephen is persecuted, if you boil it down even more, it's, it's the gospel. And they have these false accusations against him. The reason Stephen is persecuted, the reason they want to shut him up, the reason they want to bring him before the council, the reason they bear false witness is because he's telling them of another way. We can call this conviction. We can call this conviction. This is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. It fills us with boldness to proclaim the good news of the gospel it shows us the thing of Christ. The things of Christ. He shows us the thing of Christ. The Spirit opens our eyes and our ears, and does all of these wonderful things. Empowers us for ministry. He does. But it also says that the Spirit. The Bible says that the Spirit will convict us of sin. And they're convicted. And notice the ways the convicted folks will act. Maybe you'll, if you're convicted this morning. Maybe you'll see this in your own hearts. They have false accusations against him. They secretly instigate men. They, they stir the pot. They say he's speaking blasphemy, and they're, so they're stirring up people saying he's a liar. They're throwing all of these false accusations against him, and finally they want to invoke the authorities in order to silence him. Conviction of sin, conviction of walking down the wrong road, will get you to do a lot of crazy things. It will get you to respond in all sorts of crazy ways because you don't want to deal with your own heart and admit that perhaps you're walking down the wrong road. Ultimately, this conviction, follow with me here, is a suppression of truth. I think deep in their hearts they know that Stephen is speaking truth because they know he's speaking wisdom, they said. He's speaking power. He's speaking with grace. He's speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And people respond to conviction in all sorts of ways. But ultimately they're suppressing the truth. And follow along with me. The more you suppress the truth, the more you don't deal with your own heart, your heart will become seared and will be hardened to the truth so much so that you're willing to put away a man of God in order to just silence him so you don't have to deal with your own conviction. That's a scary place to be in. And I don't know if that's where you are this morning. You're walking down the wrong road. You keep falling into the hole and someone is saying, this is the way, go another way. And you've suppressed the truth so much that your conscience has been seared that you wouldn't think twice about doing this to Stephen. It's a tough place to be in. Let me just go ahead and say, God softens hearts of stones and gives us heart of flesh. If that's where your heart is this morning, the Spirit will give you a heart of flesh to receive the Word. People are confronted with truth, and either we can see conviction as the kindness of the Lord That's leading us to repentance. And he's opening our eyes. Or we can rebel and seek to quench the Spirit. Flip to Acts chapter 7 verse 51. This is his conclusion to a speech that we'll look at in a second. Look at his conclusion. Here's why I say all this. They're they're quenching the Spirit. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart, you always... Throughout all of your history, you always, what? Resist the Holy Spirit. You might want to underline that in your Bible as the Spirit works throughout Acts. They're resisting the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, they persecute Stephen. He's persecuted, not abandoned. He has this treasure in this jar of clay that's shining the glory of Christ in a palpable way so that they know That Christ is enough. Do you see what it says after they throw all these accusations? They gazed at him. They're staring at him. And all who sat in the council saw that his face was like an angel. Now, make this connection. Do you remember what happened to Moses when he came down the mountain after, after he had met with the Lord? His face shone. His face was shining in a, in a very distinct way where he had to cover his face because he beheld the glory of the Lord. Stephen's going to say at the end, I'm beholding the glory of the Lord, that God is shining through Stephen in a real way. That he is unfazed. He is even radiant in this moment because he knows he's not abandoned. That he has this treasure in this jar of clay. His demeanor is one of a heart that has been changed by the gospel. Who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told him that they would face opposition. But Jesus also told him, take heart. I have overcome the world. He was confident in truth. He was changed by truth. And he was confident that God would never leave him or forsake him. He is one that has been, been with the Lord. Filled with the spirits. And his face shines like an angel. He's persecuted but not abandoned. Second thing I want you to see about Stephen. Stephen is not silenced. Stephen keeps shining. Chapter 7, verse 1. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And so Stephen said. And so now Stephen gives his defense. He's before the council. Give your defense, Stephen. Why, why, Why do you say this? Why do you speak these words of wisdom? Why do you speak these words that are convicting us? Speak, Stephen. Tell us what you mean by that. Tell us what you mean that we're resisting the Holy Spirit. Tell us what you mean by that, Stephen. Stephen knows his Bible. If you ever want a summation of the Old Testament, if you ever get one of those like Gideon uh, New Testament only Bibles that just has the Psalms, Proverbs, and New Testament, and you want to know what the Old Testament says, turn to Acts chapter 7. It's a beautiful summation of the Old Testament, what God was doing through all all of history. And so Stephen, knowing his Bible, then proceeds to proclaim to the council, who also would know their Bible, by the way. He seeks to show them through Scripture. He preaches Scripture to them. And what he is showing them in Acts chapter 7, verses 1, all the way to Acts chapter 7, verse 53, this entire speech is showing the people of the, the, the people of those synagogues, the people that are persecuting them, he is showing them a constant pattern of grace and a constant pattern of rebellion. He is saying, you've been walking this road throughout all of your history, and I'm going to show it to you in the Old Testament. I'm going to show you what you've been doing. I'm going to show you how you've been resisting the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show you how... You have been walking down the wrong road. I am going to show you how you have been rebelling against the Holy Spirit. And he starts with Abraham. He starts with Abraham and says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Note this. He's saying you're you're denying Moses and you're denying the tabernacle. Even before that, the glory of God appears to Abraham. God's glory being showed forth and dwelling among his people is not dependent upon the temple and tabernacle is what he's starting to get at. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and he said, go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. And then he recounts the story of Abraham. And what he's getting across here is that God was gracious. God showed his glory to Abraham, and God made a promise to Abraham that through him, everyone, the whole, whole world, would be blessed. That from an offspring that come through him would come great blessing. And so he's saying that God made a promise to Abraham. And you know that. You know that, freedmen in this council, in, in, in the synagogue. You men who are hearing this, you, you high priest, you, you know that God made a covenant with Abraham. And then he tells us about Jacob and Isaac and, and Jacob and Then he goes on to talk about Joseph. Look at verse 9. So he's talking about Abraham. And then he goes on to Joseph. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and and over all of the household. And then he describes this famine that came. Here's what Stephen's getting across. You know God made a promise to Abraham. You know God fulfilled this promise through an offspring. That, that offspring was, was Isaac and then Jacob and then, and then Joseph. And just like Joseph's brothers, you're rejecting the one that God had set aside that was going to bring the blessing to the nations. And God still showed you grace. The one you rejected... Still brought blessing. For God raised him up in Egypt. And when famine came and you did not know what to do. You had no food to eat. You went to Egypt and God took care of you through Jacob. God is gracious. Even to rebellious people. The one you rejected was the source of blessing and famine. And then he goes on to Talk about Moses, for God's people were enslaved and rose up another deliverer. Verse 17, but as the time of promise drew near, this is verse 17 of chapter 7, God granted to Abraham, the, as, as the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, Until there was over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph, and he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced the fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And so he goes on to recount the, the life of Moses, that God had sent them a deliverer. God had sent them one who he was going to raise up to bring them out of captivity and bring them out of slavery. And listen to what he says as he recounts the life of Moses. And by the way, God showed himself to Moses in the wilderness, he says here, in the the burning bush. So God's glory is not dependent upon the temple. And even what you say about Moses is not quite right. Verse 35, so he's getting to the heart of it. This Moses... "...whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man God had, this man, God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers." This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. He's really getting after it now, isn't he? Not only did you do this to Joseph, this deliverer, and God was gracious to you in famine... But when God sent you Moses while you were in captivity, you rejected him. He led you out. God raised him up. You rejected God's deliverer. And more than that, you turned back to Egypt. You turned back to worshiping a golden calf. God, after he was gracious and gracious, grace upon grace and poured grace upon grace upon you, You kept repeating the same mistake. You consistently rejected the one God sent to deliver you. You see where this is going? God sent another one whom he promised through Abraham, a better deliverer, a better Moses, an ultimate deliverer. God would send one to you to deliver you From your sin, you keep falling into the hole because you've taken the road of life and grace and you turn this road into something different, a way of merit, a way that is not ultimate. And then he tells them about the tabernacle. You want to get to Moses? Let's get to the tabernacle. Our fathers had the tent of witness, verse 44, in the wilderness. Just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, our fathers in turn brought it with Joshua and when they, they uh, dispossessed the nations and, <clears throat> uh, that God drove out before our fathers. And so it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. And so he goes on to talk about this. Here's what he's saying. You've missed it. Here's what he's saying here. The tabernacle and the temple were all good things given to us by God to be a witness that God's presence is among us. But the temple wasn't about the temple. The temple is not ultimate. What he is saying is that history has proven itself over and over that Israel as a people, verse 51, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised-in-the-heart-and-ears people who always resist the Holy Spirit... Stephen's getting after it, that Israel as a people throughout history has stiffened their necks against God and resisted the Holy Spirit. They persecuted the prophets and they killed Jesus, the Son of God, and now they are about to kill a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. They are the ones that need to give an account, not Stephen. He's saying you're missing it. These are the good things, but not the ultimate things. You're walking down the road and your stiff neck, you're walking down the road and falling into the same hole because you don't realize that these things were pointing to something better. They were pointing to Christ. And now the things like the temple had become a place of human merit and achievement. They were more of a national symbol rather than a certain sign of God's grace and presence among His people. And what Stephen is getting across to us What he's getting across to them is that, yes, Jesus destroyed the temple, but he did so in the same way as one author says, that the rising sun destroys the need for streetlights and headlights. He destroyed the temple the way a descending reality destroys its shadow. That the light had come, the deliverer had come. The law is fulfilled for Christ has met its demands in every way. You need to turn to Christ. Reality has come and you're still missing it. And they kill those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. And now the righteous one is here. And you continue to reject the one who will bring you blessing and bring you life. And set your feet on the road that leads to life. They have two choices at this point, just like you when you're confronted with the gospel. You can shut them up, or as they responded in Acts chapter 2, they're cut to the heart and say, what must we do to be saved? I'm convicted of my sin. God has been kind enough to convict me of my sin. What must I do to be saved? And they said, Repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And times of refreshing will come in his name. That's Acts chapter 3. So His pleading to them, stop resisting. Come to Jesus, the righteous one. Yes, you have a history of rebellion. But God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Stop falling in the hole and go a different way. Stephen's speech ends there. They don't want to hear any more of it. They heard these things. They were enraged, it says in verse 54. So Stephen's not silent. Finally, Stephen is struck down, but he's not destroyed. They ground their teeth at him. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, much like Moses, and standing at the right hand of God, and Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. There's been a lot of speculation of what that means, various interpretations, but I At least means Jesus was watching. He was standing in his defense and he was ready to welcome Stephen home. For the road he was walking was about to lead to death, but it was really leading to life. And they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul and if they were stoning Stephen. Stephen cried out, much like Christ. He's experienced what Christ was experiencing. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And they said, Lord, don't hold this against him, them. And then Stephen died. Stephen was struck down, but he was not destroyed. He had an unwavering trust in God, unwavering trust in the gospel. It was probably hard to believe for Stephen at that moment that God was accomplishing something through that suffering. Let me give you a couple of so whats one, this tells us something about God that he is gracious he 's slow to anger and he 's abounding in loving kindness, even if you have been walking through a history of rebellion, a history that 's constant constantly marked with trying to earn favor with God, walking down the road of religion, constantly falling in that hole, never feeling like you 're enough, never feeling like you can do enough, never feeling secure in your salvation. And God says there's another way. Look to Christ. His grace is sufficient. His merit is sufficient. And it is all yours by grace through faith. It tells us wonderful things about our God. It tells us about our own hearts, our own conviction, of how to respond to conviction. We've talked about that. Let me share this with you. There's a couple of ways to walk down this religious road. I was thinking about this this week. Stubborn, stiff-necked, unwilling to repent, only concerned with outward appearance, aversion to the Holy Spirit, rebellious to God, rejecting Jesus. There's all sorts of ways that we can respond to that. But there's another way we can respond to that. And not only with that, but how we treat the church. I was thinking about this. If you grew up religious, you can keep falling down the same hole and put the next generation in peril. I had a, a dad who served as a deacon and served on a, the, the chairman of deacons. And, and he probably could give me a, a sour understanding of the church if he wanted to. He probably knew more about preachers and in-workings of a church than I care to know. But I was blessed to grow up in a home where I never heard about any of that. I never heard about the ugliness of the church, or I never heard them complain about church, or treat church like it was just another club or just another cultural thing. But it was about God calling together saved people to live for His glory. I I tell you that to say this, don't fall on that hole either. Where it's not necessarily you're rejecting the gospel, but you're treating the church like something it shouldn't be. That it's just kind of a, a game, right? Don't fall on that hole either. Here's what the road looks like heard described like this recently it's like shade tree living have you ever planted a shade tree we planted a shade tree in our backyard that we thought would grow quick it was a louisiana swamp maple we were excited about that tree man it was growing like crazy it was we were going to have shade in our lifetime from that new tree hurricane ida laid it over so we no longer have the shade tree there's the idea of planting a shade tree overwhelms me Because I know that likely in my lifetime, I will never get to experience the joy of the shade of that tree. But if I live in shade tree living, then I will plant trees that I may never enjoy. I will walk down a road that I know is right. I know it leads to life, even though I might not never see the fruit of it. I know you noticed who was standing there at Stephen's persecution. Stephen would never see this. Perhaps he greeted Paul, Saul, when he came into heaven. He was watching all, Saul was watching all of this unfold. And pretty soon, the Lord would take Saul and change his name to Paul and walking down the road of religion and turn him on the road of the gospel so that he would walk the way of life as well. Stephen probably never saw that but he walked that narrow way even when he didn't see the results, knowing that future generations would be impacted by him walking the narrow way. That says something to parents and grandparents and kids even today. Keep walking the narrow road. Keep walking the narrow road for who knows what the Lord might accomplish in ways that you could not imagine. Let's go ahead and turn to the Lord in prayer.